0: That's the market as it is now, like from my understanding of liquidity solutions. And so at Ondo, we've launched liquidity as a service, which we're about at 100 million of TVL right now. Nice. So what we were essentially able to do was partner with three stablecoin projects, Frax, Fae, and Reflexor, which issues Rye, which is a floating stablecoin collateralized by ETH. And so those stablecoin issuers are able to put up their stablecoin at a very low cost. Right now we do a 5% APR. So for three months of liquidity, you're only paying like 1.25%, which usually comes from the swap fees. Right. So these stablecoin issuers can issue a bunch of liquidity. We get that on the fixed side of the vault. And then the DAO itself can just provide from their treasury, their governance token or native token to the variable side of the vault, to the variable tranche. And... They basically take on all of the upside and all of the downside from the pool. So if there's swap fees that outperform the 5% that we owe to Fax or Fay or Reflexor, they get all of the upside. If there's a lot of impermanent loss, they bear that cost. But the advantage here is that there's no real immediate cost from the Dow. They can just bring in tokens from their treasury, bootstrap right. a huge liquidity pool, basically double the amount of liquidity they would normally provide without any sell pressure. And you don't need unsustainable liquidity mining incentives there. Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance
1: that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review
0: Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi
1: with Brad Nickel. So I'm uh, really excited to have on the show today, Justin Bram. And Justin, I know Justin because I'm a fan, right? Justin creates some of the highest quality explainer DeFi content that you will find on the internet. And I have learned incredible amounts about protocols, how to keep safe how to do things properly, and how protocols work and what they can do for you or not do for you from watching Justin's videos. And he and I have connected up and had some chats. So I've been involved in his community, which is a growing community. And so Justin is here not specifically for that though today. He's here for a project he's now running growth for called Ondo Finance and Justin is going to give us a little bit of his background and then tell us all about Undo, how it works, what its value is to the market and all that good stuff. So welcome, Justin. Congrats on the on the new gig. I hope we won't have any less of your great content coming.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate the intro. I think I was putting out about two videos a week and now maybe it's down to one and a half or one. <laughs> but yeah, taking a step back, Brad, I think you were in the initial, so I migrated everyone from Telegram to Discord when we, the community hit about a thousand members, I want to say. And you were a part of that, a big part of that Telegram community, but I understand you're not the biggest Discord fan, so.
1: Well, and that has transformed <laughs> over the last few weeks. I'm, I discovered, here's the crazy, stupid thing, right? Like, I've been doing UI and UX for years. I'm a software junkie. I... Was frustrated with Discord because of all the channels of noise coming in. And I didn't realize what the inbox function was. And so I didn't realize I could see and mute the things in the inbox of every channel that I'm following and reduce the noise and clutter and get to the things I really wanted to. So I still think Discord is a bit messy, but I'm actually using it a lot more. When people
0: ask me, like, where can you find the best alpha in crypto? Usually it really is in projects Discord. So, like, I, in hundreds of discords probably discord servers and try to keep alerts on for every announcements channel just because people share with their communities first which makes sense
1: yeah Yeah, absolutely you are obviously deep in defi but give us your background prior to crypto and then how you ended up in crypto and then diving into doing explainer videos of defi protocols
0: yeah sure so originally from connecticut grew up there went to boston university for undergrad and actually studied film there so all of us as soon as i graduated i moved to los angeles when i finished film school started working at fox on the tv show family guy which is like a popular american adult animated show
1: yeah yeah the crypto world would love to know that about you (laughs)
0: Impossible, yeah. Whenever I tell people my story, usually that's the, the one thing people are interested in. So I was doing that, did a lot in the production world and realized I wanted to do something more strategic, maybe more on the business side, but still at this point had never purchased BTC, ETH, had never gone down the crypto, ra- crypto rabbit hole. So decided to get my MBA, my master's in business from the University of Southern California. While I was there, I worked at Paramount Pictures and Strategy and BizDev. And I think that was probably the first time I talked about blockchain from a professional standpoint. A lot of the larger entertainment studios at the time, which was a few years ago, um, were looking at if blockchain could be used to help automate payments and royalties. for us. So I, nothing ever came of that, but it was interesting. That's and, interesting. And- yeah, we talked about that a little, but so I went, moved from Paramount to Snapchat and I was working at their tech accelerator there oh. where we brought in companies in-house, brought them in for a few months, invested in them and helped grow their business and help them fundraise, et cetera. So I had a lot of experience with the startup space from that. And while I was there, I was uh, fortunate enough to meet a serial entrepreneur that started on the same day as me at Snapchat. He had sold his business a couple of years prior and came to Snapchat as more of a high level engineer. And so we connected. We're both from Connecticut, similar area. And he told me about a business he was raising for in DeFi, which, of course, I'd never heard of. So we got on a video call. This was like as COVID was happening and everyone was sent home. And he showed me what MetaMask was. I think at the time it was a pretty sparse ecosystem so he pulled up crypto kitties and showed me that and i thought this is extremely silly this clearly is not going anywhere but yeah no his name's andrew really respect him and the work he's done and so decided to come on board there and just start exploring the world of crypto so That project that I was working on for a year and a half was called Brink, or is called Brink, I should say. A lot of your audience, I would assume, is familiar with Gelato. So I would say it's comparable in some ways to Gelato, which is an automated execution network. So the way it would work is a user signs up on Brink. A proxy account, which is a full self-custodied smart contract account, gets deployed for the user. And then the user can just sign a gas-free message that gets monitored by a bot network of executors. And as long as they can fulfill the parameters of the signed order, they can fulfill the order and deliver whatever the user asks for to their proxy account. Uh, So I was working on that for a long time. Sorry,
1: let me interrupt real quick. So uh, with Brink, it would work that the user can determine the trades they're going to take, but have that be automated based on maybe a set of rules or something. Is that the concept behind it? Exactly.
0: So the most obvious use cases are conditional orders that you see in traditional markets Mm -hmm. and are starting to pop up in DeFi, like limit orders, stop loss orders. One cancels the other. And of course this could go on to be like automated liquidity management, et cetera.
1: Got it. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And that project's still active and running and going, right? Yep. Cool.
0: Yeah. So still advising with the team and talk to them frequently. They're really great people, admire what they're doing. And yeah, I think it's going to be an incredible project. They're just deploying to mainnet in the coming weeks, so. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, so when I was there, we obviously there's no Brink token at the at this point in time. And so we were trying to think of like ways to get a community going. So I was like, thinking about this, and (laughs) how can we get people to care when there's nothing they can buy? There's not, you know, so I was thinking, why don't I just create some YouTube videos, I went to film school, kind of makes sense. I don't see any like analytical content on YouTube, that's actually educational and helpful that really goes in the weeds of DeFi at the time. And this was only eight months ago, all I was seeing was horrible content with like people shilling things, crazy yeah. emojis and crazy face facial expressions in the thumbnail and just content that I personally wouldn't want to watch. And everyone I knew in this space that was extremely intelligent because a lot of people in crypto are very smart. We just wouldn't appeal to them. So I thought that there was like a market there and I started making videos and it's fortunate that caught traction just because I would make a video about a project and then I'd reach out to the project and just genuinely say, hey, I made this video. Would you mind sharing it with your community? Maybe it could help them. And I tried to make unbiased content that didn't shill anything, that was just really educational, help people understand how these complicated projects work. So, the first video I made was about Frax. Still a huge fan of Frax to this day. I've been a part of this community for about a year. Yeah. And we can talk about how that's all come full circle at Ondo in just a bit. But yeah, so about eight, eight months ago, I started this YouTube channel and Discord community, which has grown pretty well. And yeah, so I met the Ondo team a few months ago really liked what they were doing, how they were trying to build the first decentralized investment bank for DAOs and other investors. Just really fell in love with the mission and the team and decided to jump on board as head of growth there.
1: I think your videos took off because number one, they were genuine and unbiased, but number two, you really filled a huge need in the market. And I'm sure that your growth was not only from the projects sharing it, which obviously we all kind of leverage like when we're doing interviews or whatever, but that also because, um, the search engines would pick you up because people would like it and recommend it because the quality of the content was so good. Like I said, I I highly recommend everybody. If you want to learn about protocols that you've covered, you're the best person to handle it. It's oh, fantastic. thank you, Brad. I so, appreciate that. Great. It's brilliant work. Good stuff. All right. So in the course of this, now from the notoriety or the popularity of your channel, you connected with Yondo folks. And they offer, you guys work out this great gig that you have now running growth for them. One of the things we talk about on Twitter a lot and in our lunch show is how many opportunities there are for people in the space, right? And there are opportunities to almost create opportunities, right, that people are getting jobs all over the place or working in DAOs because they proved themselves in the meritocracy of DeFi just by doing something for a given project. And this wasn't something you were necessarily doing, but it was another example of you proving your worth and your ability and your skills and your experience and being able to land into a great position with a great project that way, I really try to encourage people to realize that the opportunities right now in this space are absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely
0: agree. I think the situation is this the VC funding in 2021 was a record year. I think it was about $30 billion of VC funding into crypto projects in general. So it was a record year. I think that will continue to 2022. And what that essentially means is like all of these projects, any project that is notable doing something innovative that you're probably interested in has a ton of capital. They're really bright people they're building, but there's just no one to hire. Like, It it is so hard hiring in this space because I always joke around. There's like two types of people in crypto. If you know what you're doing in crypto and you've been around long enough, you're probably financially independent and you don't need a <laughs> job. Or like, you'd have to offer that person so much money just to come, and and work with you. And then the other set of it is like people that just came in the past couple of months that are new and possibly haven't made it yet. So it, it's hard hiring. There, it's hard yeah. to find the right people out there. But I think for the right person, they're like to your point. There's just tremendous opportunity. I think every notable project that I've talked to in the past several months and that I've seen is they're all hiring. We're hiring at Ondo for engineers and then for non-technical roles for a marketing manager as well.
1: Yeah. Um, I was talking to a guy in our community the other day who's got this 15 years of digital marketing expertise. And I said to him I said the sky's the limit for you right now in crypto. It's it, your skill set is probably in huge demand right now. So
0: Oh, yeah. It's so hard to find the people exactly like that that are experienced, smart, bright people, but uh, they also know what they're doing in DeFi because I think it it is very different in crypto. And it's something I'm a little bit out of touch with as well, like the meme driven culture and making sure like taking a focus on fostering and creating this community that's a mix of productive, but also lighthearted and fun. It's a tough balancing act, but I think, Yeah. yeah, it sounds like that person could be a great candidate for it. And it's hard to find the right person for sure.
1: No, it is. It's hard to be able to kind of balance the memes and the shit posting and getting the right tone in what you're doing. And it's almost like a personality thing. It's funny. I was thinking about uh, Jaws who does social and growth for for Olympus Dow, And he is so irritable at times when he's posting on Twitter and you would think that's not what, it's not the typical hire you would do in the corporate world for running your social media and being the presence of your brand online. But it actually works because he has this nice balance of rah-rah for the project and just, I'm not going to take your crap. So it's a really interesting, weird time. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, I think the opportunities are are tremendous. So anybody looking for a engineering or marketing manager gig. contact just under yeah. I would say most of the talented engineers
0: probably have no issue at all finding anything it's the Not non-technical people and and I think part of the reason for this is from like the first 10 to 20 hires 10 to 15 to 20 hires or 0 to 15 hires there might only be one non-technical person on the team or maybe two and so that person has to wear a bunch of hats they have to be very experienced with DeFi and be able to do several different things which is great but it just means you have a smaller pool of candidates. And you also have a smaller amount of roles just because there's, I was talking to Arbitrum earlier. I think their team, I think they I want to say they had 30 people on their team. And I would imagine like 25, at least of those are all engineers. So there's just fewer roles for non-technical people. But that said for the right person, any team is going to make room for you. Even if there's no explicit posting yet, if you're the right person that walks through the door and you have the right background and the right experience and drive, you're going to add value because every project needs help with their community and whatnot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, look, I think it's becomes a matter of, I was talking to somebody the other day who was a nurse up until full time, up until a few months ago, but was also dabbling in DeFi and had taught themselves coding years ago and dove back into Solidity and is now like full time in two different DAOs and making a great living. And he's nursing one, one day a week. Anyway, lots of opportunities out there. In Real quick, before we get into Ando, what is your kind of feeling and take on the market and projects right now? Do you you get us? I'm getting a sense of, and I'm glad to see that we're starting to see more kind of a focus on fundamentals, a little less aping and craziness right now, but what's your feeling out there? I would say torn. No one knows what's
0: going to happen in the next couple of weeks. People that have watched my content know I have a large ETH bias, but if you have a large ETH bias and it had one in 2021 you probably underperform these other layer ones for better or worse. Maybe if I was actively trading and bouncing between these L1s, I probably would have not done too well, but you never know. Oh, I think I put out a a 2022 predictions video. I think 2022, we're not going to have a parabolic move to the upside or the downside. My hunch is Ethereum will continue to lose market share and these other layer ones will continue to compete just because it makes sense. We're all doing it. We'll follow the incentives. That's fine. Right now, most people value tokens off of TVL for better or worse. It's probably not the best metric. But if right. that's what we're all going with as an industry, Ethereum's probably going to lose relative TVL to the others. I think the market's going to continue growing. But as far as if we're in some sort of a, a super cycle or if the market will be cyclical, of course, I don't have any of the answers. But my hunch is so much money is pouring into this space from a VC perspective that you're going to have like secular sectors of the crypto market are going to outperform and do well and sectors won't. So I would say it's possible that in 2022, maybe Bitcoin and ETH don't do exceptionally well. But whether it's near in the Aurora ecosystem that a a ton of money and VC money is pumping in there and innovation is happening there, I think it's possible we're going to see different sectors, especially NFTs, decorrelate from Bitcoin at least a bit more than they have in the past. So we'll see. Hopefully the party continues. It's been 2021 was my best year ever sure i I hope 2022 is even better but it's very possible it's not so
1: yeah no and look i think anything any type of decorrelation i think is a positive sum for all of us so i'd love to see more of that absolutely
0: All right. Uh, I was just going to say if we want it, we should do, uh, if we have time at some point, we should talk about specific projects. Uh, I'd be curious to hear which ones you're excited about, which you (laughs) aren't. I have some contrarian takes on some of these projects, but sure, uh, they get me in trouble a bit. But
1: that's all right. I am excited about Frax. I have been since I met Sam and not quite as long as you have been, but I think there's just Number one, I think the the concept is awesome and the protocol is awesome. But number two, I think he's a biz desk, just a machine. And I think he's putting FRAX anywhere and everywhere he can. And I know that he's a trustworthy kind of person, operator. And so I've happily introduced him to a couple of folks as well on projects that I think make a good fit for them. I've been a big, <laughs> big FRAX supporter for a year now, been in that community.
0: And to your point, I think it's really due to Sam and the team and, and the community. I think... It would have been impossible a year ago to say Frax is the future of stablecoins, or they're going to hit. I think recently two billion dollars of the Frax stablecoin issued. But what well, you can look at as the team and realize that like the team are great people that you want to bet on, and yeah, people that are looking to do innovative things in this space. So yeah, I've been big Frax supporter for a year, which is has been great.
1: Get your take on FPI
0: yeah there's very little information for for those listening FPI stands for the frax price index which is essentially going to be a token issued from frax that tracks the cpi which is a measure of inflation in the us it's interesting i i haven't there's no documentation really out i do wonder if inflation as a narrative has faded into the background a bit in a sense that like a year ago the hot take was how do we protect against inflation and btc was this amazing inflation hedge but people realize now that crypto is just a risk on asset. It's not really an inflation hedge, or at least certainly not in the short to medium term. I suppose it could be, but we'll see. I, I really don't have enough information to say. Yeah. But
1: I interviewed Sam about it. And I look, I think the mission behind it is strong. I think it's a huge mountain to climb to try to create a better price index. Initially, he has to track with what's there because the data that's available is limited. But this vision of potentially taking it to the point where you create something that's better and more real life, realistic, I think makes a ton of sense. I just think it's massive undertaking. I I love the fact that he's willing to undertake it. You know what I mean? I love the fact that somebody says, hey, this is a problem. I want to solve it. After I've solved, I'm working on the stable coin issue and, and a better way to do algorithmic. And now I want to take this on. I think that makes a ton of sense. It fits in with what they're doing. I just, I don't know how realistic it is or is not.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of your users, if they're speculating on FXS because they've announced that they're going to do an FPI airdrop for FXS holders and you get a boost if you stake it for a certain amount of time through their VEFX platform. But one thing I think I've realized, and it just makes a lot of sense is when an airdrop is pre-announced And we all know like a project is doing an airdrop where there's some airdrop associated with something. And In some ways, I found it gets priced in and you're just going to have a lot less upside than when no one sees it coming. Just because you're going to get diluted, the price of FXS has already gone up a ton. And so you have to wonder how much upside is left if you're just looking at it now.
1: now. That makes total sense. What else do you like? Anything else?
0: Yeah, I put out a video on the Curve Wars. I'm very fascinated with the Curve Wars and I think Convex is the token to speculate on if you want to bet on the Curve Wars. One interesting fact, and I, I could get into an explainer of how it works, but it's probably not a good use of time. But the short answer is the Convex token allows users who control the Convex co- token control how Curve allocates rewards for different pools. So the thinking is that uh, different projects want to control Convex or pay Convex holders to vote to have their pool incentivized so people provide liquidity and they have deep liquidity and people lock up their tokens. So, Right now with Convex, I believe, and the numbers probably change every day or every week, but about $1 of Convex bribes, if a protocol bribes Convex with $1 worth of bribes, that translates to about $4 of rewards in the Curve token. Yeah. So I think there's still some room there for the Convex token to have some upside or bribes to. Right now, the bribe APR for Convex, I think, is about 50%. So you can stake your Convex protocols bribe you to vote to provide liquidity or to provide incentives for their liquidity. And so I think there's either room for the convex price to increase or for the bribes to increase, which I would expect translate to an increase in the convex price. So really fascinated in those. But I suppose I'm always hesitant to enter DeFi projects because if you look at any DeFi project, after the hype cycle, it always underperforms ETH. So this is pretty much like <laughs> a hands down. And and it, you can also substitute ETH with whatever token or gas and L1 token you love, whether it's Avalanche, Solana. Like, none of these tokens in these ecosystems in the long term outperform the gas token, at least not yet. Even if you love the Curve Wars, Curve has drastically underperformed ETH over the last year or so. Something to keep in mind. Yep. I try not to speculate on these DeFi tokens unless I have some sort of alpha knowledge or there's a ca- catalyst coming up.
1: I was listening to... Uh... Kobe on Bankless this morning, driving my daughter to school, and he's been pricing every his entire net worth in ETH since uh, the beginning of 2021. Mm. And I was accumulating at the beginning of the last run-up, completely by luck. It was not any skilled analysis on my part, but was accumulating all the way through. And it makes a ton of sense that if you're going to speculate on these DeFi projects, you're you've got to be somebody that's coming in and out. You're not if you want to outperform yeah um, which is also a theory. tough
0: task right like yeah
1: it's among us can beat the market and trade
0: yeah most probably you can't but we all still love trying <laughs> we never stopped yeah i think what it comes down to is i love the curve wars are fascinating Convex is fascinating But if you were to say, I don't know what's going to happen over the next five years, but I can be 99% sure ETH will be around in five years and BTC will be as well and maybe some others. But I can't say with 99% confidence that Curve will be here. These platforms are valued incredibly richly. I think Curve's fully diluted valuation, which I prefer going off of fully diluted over circulating, is like 15 to 20 billion now, which is absolutely insane. There's no, like, it's hard to imagine that Curve can capture the amount of value justify that valuation without just getting forked with a fee list model so we'll see
1: makes sense all right so let's talk about ondo a little bit or that's the whole purpose of this call tell me give me the high level elevator pitch whatever functional purpose of ondo and and what it can do for people and then let's climb into how people can take advantage of it and how it works yeah thank you so
0: Ando's goal is to build the first decentralized investment bank that would service DAOs, retail users, traditional finance institutions, et cetera. And we have a very large roadmap with a ton of different products that would fulfill those services and the needs of DAOs, et cetera, et cetera. There are two products live right now that users can look at on on the website and play around with. The first is a structured products product, which I'll explain in just a minute. And the second is our liquidity as a service offering, which I'll get into as well. So the first product, the structured product offering, what it essentially allows users to do is split out a liquidity pool, which is traditionally two sides. So if you provide liquidity on Uniswap, on SushiSwap, let's just say the ETH uni pair, you have to put up ETH and you have to put up uni generally in 50% increments. So you put up 50, 50 of each, you're getting exposure regarding price to both of those assets you're getting exposure to some amount of impermanent loss. And in exchange for that, you're getting swap fees. So at Ondo, what we can do is we figured out that we could actually separate a liquidity pair out into two sides. So one side would be called the fixed tranche, and this tranche gets a fixed yield on the underlying asset. So in ETH's case, let's just say we could offer a 20% fixed yield on ETH. No matter what happens, that side is not getting exposed to impermanent loss unless there's some extreme event. And it's also not taking on any additional risk aside from the underlying exposure of ETH okay. in most scenarios. In addition to that fixed side, you have the variable tranche. And let's just continue to use the UNI token as an example. So this side of the pair gets a lot more upside. There's a higher APR, but it's variable. So it fluctuates. It's very volatile. And this side of the pair basically gets all of the upside. And they also take on the downside risk of impermanent loss. It's a general structure of how these vaults work basically it allows users to only have exposure to one token and to trade risks between both sides of the liquidity pair
1: so you can enter you can enter into the more conservative ETH pair ETH tranche and know that you have a fixed yield you're going to get from that and i'm assuming you lock in for a certain period of time is that how it functions yeah good
0: question we are launching perpetual soon and Mm. mid-duration entry and exit as part of a V2. So users will have a ton of flexibility there. But as it is today in the V1 launch of the project, there's essentially a subscription window where anyone can put up ETH, anyone can put up the other side of the pair, uni, let's just say. Um, That's open for call at three days. We see how much volume or liquidity we have that we can match with each other. And so then those two assets are paired and deployed to, let's just say Uniswap or SushiSwap for now. And then the liquidity sits there for a predefined period of time between 30 days and 90 days is what we've done historically. And then after that time period, the assets are returned to the users in basically the advertised APRs. Nice.
1: And when you open the subscriptions, do you find that the more conservative side or the higher risk side gets subscribed faster? Yeah, it's a good question.
0: So we're playing around with this right now. We've found that there's an unlimited amount of demand for ETH as the (laughs) fixed yield asset. I'd say we haven't done lower than 20%. We've done between 20 to 25% APY for ETH. We found there's like an unlimited amount of demand there. Like That side will essentially always be filled for the fixed yield ETH faults. So perhaps there's something to lowering the APY there if needed. As far as the variable yield token, it really depends on the project's community. We recently launched a convex one that was I don't think it was sold out, but it did pretty well. There was a lot of interest there. And if we can partner with another DAO and get the DAO to basically let us talk to their community or co-market this with us and the people from that DAO want to provide that token, really believe in it and want to speculate on it, there's interest there. But yeah, traditionally, the more risky side has actually been harder for us to fill just because on the variable side, returns can actually potentially be negative if impermanent loss is drastic. So Sure,
1: sure. No, that makes sense. Not obviously, people either have to believe in the token and, and just want to take that risk, or they feel like there's, you know, some inherent reason that token's going to be stable or up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's one side of it. You said There's another component to what you guys are offering.
0: Yeah, so we have one other product that's live now, and that's our liquidity as a service offering. And so the way this works is we looked at the space and realized there's really three people in this space that are trying to provide or help DAOs get liquidity without these unsustainable liquidity mining incentives. There's a lot of data out there about why yield farming, liquidity mining isn't sustainable, and it's not healthy for a project. I can share resources later if you want to share with anyone. But there's some great info from Nansen, basically, that most people exit a liquidity farm on the first day, actually. And then by the end of the first week, pretty much everyone's out. And then by the end of the month, like, There's no one there. And the token price is extremely volatile. People initially have to buy the token to stake it. So it pumps. And then everyone's just dumping the rewards constantly. So it goes down. So probably not the best mechanic. And even if it worked and it bootstrapped a community, it's a really expensive thing to do. So we looked at the competitors in this space. One of them is Olympus Pro, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I would argue that Olympus Pro isn't a perfect solution because it's a huge cost for DAOs. Basically, they have to sell their token at a large discount. The discount ranges, but usually it's a greater discount the more thin their community is. So if they have a strong community, maybe they only need to sell their token at a 7% discount. If they don't have much of a community, it might drop to 20%. So they sell this token at a discount. And then after five days, the user can claim that token and presumably dump it on the market, or I suppose they could keep it. Now, in exchange for this like cost to the DAO, this explicit cost of selling it, they get usually their asset so their token paired with another token as part of liquidity pair so they're not really limiting exposure to their to their treasury to their underlying token they're just selling their token at a discount which is quite expensive and getting some small amount of liquidity for it so i would argue like this is probably you probably can see this in the market olympus pro only has 30 million of tvl i would say so there hasn't been too much demand for this product but in any case there's pros and cons to that then there's Tokamak, which is a very interesting model where Tokamak basically requires DAOs to submit a lot of their token to the Tokamak treasury or the DAO, and then Tokamak accrues a bunch of base assets like ETH and USDC, and then token voters vote to decide where to deploy liquidity. So they can vote to decide to deploy liquidity to say FXS, the Frax governance token, to ohm the Olympus governance token, etc. So I think it's probably not the best system because every week you, you might run into a bribing system like you did with Curved Convex, where projects have to bribe Tokamak now to get their liquidity. And so right. it wasn't really that, like they, they don't have control over the liquidity, they don't choose where it gets deployed, that's up to toke voters So it's not really consistent, reliable liquidity. And in addition, while this is, right now it's great for users, that are getting a ton of Tok farming rewards. Toke hasn't deployed liquidity yet, but their farm is live. But the Tok token is the backstop for impermanent loss, which I don't think is sustainable, but we'll see, of course. So yeah, that's the market as it is now, like from my understanding of liquidity solutions. And so at Ondo, we've launched liquidity as a service, which we're about at 100 million of TVL right now. Nice. So what we were essentially able to do was partner with three stablecoin projects, Frax, fay and Reflexer, which issues Rye, which is a floating stablecoin collateralized by ETH, and so those stablecoin issuers are able to put up their stablecoin at a very low cost. Right now, we do a five percent APR. So for three months of liquidity, you're only paying one point two five percent, which usually comes from the swap fees. Right. So these stablecoin issuers can issue a bunch of liquidity. We get that on the fixed side of the vault, and then the DAO itself can just provide from their treasury, their governance token or native token to the variable side of the vault, to the variable tranche. And they basically take on all of the upside and all of the downside from the pool. So if there's swap fees that outperform the 5% that we owe to Fax or FAE or Reflexor, they get all of the upside. If there's a lot of impermanent loss, they bear that cost. But the advantage here is that there's no real immediate costs from the Dow. They can just bring in tokens from their treasury, bootstrap right. a huge liquidity pool, basically double the amount of liquidity they would normally provide without any sell pressure. And you don't need unsustainable liquidity mining incentives there. So that's what we built now and just getting that started and onboarding new partners.
1: That sounds really powerful. It's obvious that if you're if you're providing both sides of it, the, the gain and having the liquidity is awesome. And if there's upside, so it's no... It's a no-lose scenario and a potential bigger win scenario for projects to to invest that way. Do you expect that'll become the largest part of Ondo's existence eventually? Yeah, it's a
0: good question. My hunch is no. And that's because of what's coming in the pipeline, uh, new stuff it's yet yeah. to be announced. Okay. Um, but I think it will be a huge part of it. I, what we've noticed is there's actually a huge demand really from the stablecoin issuer side. So Frax, Faye, and Reflexer have all committed generous incentives to DAOs. So if DAOs deposit their token and match it with their stablecoin, they get like a nice bonus from these other projects just for doing it, which is awesome. Oh, that's great. And yeah, I think they're doing that because like, Frax, Faye, Rye, they all want to become the stable coins of DeFi that are just the base assets for tons of different DeFi tokens. So we're seeing there's a ton of demand from that side. And we're also, of course, seeing from I think we've launched with eight part eight other DAOs as well from a liquidity perspective. So yeah, I think that side of the business will do really well. And We're also looking into mechanics to automate this process and make it more decentralized. Whereas right now, of course, it's more of a centralized process with a lot of outreach. But if we could automate some of that similar to Olympus Pro, like to their credit, it's automated from my understanding, at least. And I think that's pretty powerful. They're
1: launching the new version, which has composability as well. Is that something that you guys eventually see is that this is something that people could utilize as a protocol themselves to to create products around or at least integrate with with their existing protocol in some way?
0: Yeah, I think potentially. It's not something we've explored directly. I think there's still some challenges or risks I think we need more clarity around. So for instance, let's just call say, Faye partners with Token XYZ. If Token XYZ goes down 80% or more, like Faye can start to become uncollateralized and have a negative yield on their fixed yield position in this extreme scenario we talked about. And so there are risks there and we have to figure out the best way to model out what the stablecoin issuer deserves for the risk. Right now we've all agreed upon 5%. And so we'll see. Maybe that's too high, maybe that's too low. But there are some kind of high touch elements that we would love to automate away and create it a much more permissionless system. But I think that will take a few months.
1: In terms of people that are members of the ondo community, what's the what are the tokenomics for the community or what happens with ondo in terms of the people who are are participating? So there's no ondo token. On okay. Now. Okay. Announced. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm not sure what I can... So there's nothing. You can't answer that question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I will just say clearly the community is in some ways the most important part of a project. Of course, you need an innovative product and it needs to work. But if you look at projects that have had short-term, medium-term, long-term success, a lot of that is because of their community. And yeah, I think we just never want to forget about our community and and make sure that everyone's incentivized to do the right thing and enjoy the product.
1: Yeah, I made the assumption there was a governance token of some sort. So that that's Well, every, yeah, not not yet, no, nothing announced there. No, Okay, that's interesting. That makes your job really interesting, right? Because then uh, primarily the community you build are participants. It's un- it would be rather unusual to have a large community of people just cheering on on. I'm assuming though that you guys can drive a lot of participation from your partners who are from tokens that you have in the project. Is that kind of what's been happening? Is that you guys have been driving people to Ondo because somebody will be listed on the site in one of the pairs?
0: Yeah, I think so. We're trying to do a lot of stuff with our partners. Like, Faye has been a huge help at this. We're trying to revamp our co-community work with Frax and Reflexer. But part of it is going to other Discords and doing community calls with them and community calls in our Discord. I will say, though, to your point, it is very interesting having a community with no token. I think there's some benefits and drawbacks to that the main drawback is your community is going to be less engaged if they don't have something to speculate on sure but the plus side is i haven't worked with a project that has a token but i've obviously observed it and my hunch is when the token's doing well everyone loves you and (laughs) this project is going to solve world hunger and it's like the best thing since sliced bread and everyone's happy but obviously that's not how it always plays out tokens go down in price what goes up and outperforms must come down and so i imagine when the token's underperforming and that's all people care about because that's like the, all they're incentivized to care about. It causes a lot of strife in the discords. Yeah, I think there's probably- so you're not
1: glad to not need. to have that. But the interesting thing is the lack of a token actually ties in so nicely to the philosophies that you were talking about earlier about your own investment strategies and some of your opinions about some of the projects out there and what does and doesn't outperform ETH or what have you. That's a really interesting place for you to be. I think that's awesome.
0: Yeah, no, I s- certainly enjoy it. Yeah. We'll see. I think I, sometimes I wish I was anonymous. If we had a token out today and it was down 20% against ETH, <laughs> you, you would definitely wish you were anonymous, but I think it's too late for that for me.
1: Yeah. I get it. I, yeah, you're done with that. You're to try to do a non now would be a nightmare. <laughs> so what, can you give us some generalized kind of path for the future for Ando or without disclosing, you know, too much of the roadmap ahead that you guys haven't publicly talked about?
0: Yeah, sure. We want to follow the liquidity. Right now there's a multi-chain narrative and to that point there's a ton of liquidity multi-chain around different chains whether they're layer 2s or side chains or just like their own freestanding layer 1. So we want to be where the liquidity is at from an e- if a, a chain is EVM compatible, there is an engineer engineering hurdle to get there, but it's not too high. So right. we want to be where the liquidity is at, even better when a lot of these different layer ones and side chains and layer twos are incentivizing you coming to that chain. So certainly that's a core focus. And then part of following the liquidity is, of course, where are people actually transacting on? Is it on Curve? Is it on Convex? Is it on Uni, Sushi, Balancer? Right now, we deploy liquidity to Uni and Sushi. But of course, we're looking at all options to see where we can source the best yields for users and actually make the liquidity productive. Because in my view, it's it's just not going to be sustainable if we're just living off incentives. I think the liquidity has to be put to work and we don't want to deploy meaningless liquidity that's just there to collect rewards.
1: Sure. Now that makes total sense. In your user data, do you find that, do you find that a lot of the the wallets utilizing Ondo on both sides of the equation are repeat? By that, are people who are on the speculative side staying in the speculative side and just picking another pair when they have the opportunity and the more conservative folks are over on the east side of those pairs? Or do you find that it's a mix and, and people are trying all kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I think we've seen what you're alluding to where like an ETH fixed yield depositor last month is probably going to want to deposit for a fixed yield this month, like presuming they can subscribe in the subscription window and their collect- their liquidity is accepted. As far as the other side of the pair, there's definitely a, a bit more variety in Xerox depositors just because not everyone wants to hold the convex token or the BitDAO token or whatever it is. Whatever so, it is, sure. See some variety there. One interesting thing we see, which I I still can't believe people do this, but like they'll just deposit like 0.001 ETH and pr- like clearly just to airdrop farm, right? And it's hard to imagine projects. I don't think it's worth the gas cost. Like I don't think that's nuts. Projects are ever going to airdrop to people that deposit point zero zero one a yeah. amount,
1: yeah. So That's interesting. That's really yeah. funny. I never even thought about people doing that. That's hilarious. Yeah. If you're going for an airdrop, why wouldn't you just look at it and say, oh, look, I can earn this. Why wouldn't I just earn this while I get the airdrop qualification? That's just bizarre.
0: Yeah, maybe it's a lot of bot activity that bots do track so. notable projects and deposit and try to Sybil attack things. But yeah, from my understanding, it would be pretty gas, especially on ETH mainnet gas oh, yeah. to deposit a trivial amount. And yeah, I get not everyone can deposit 10 ETH to something, but right. we see like things that would be worth like literally single digit dollars that just doesn't make any sense.
1: So when you guys, so you intimated that you're looking at other L that you can launch on, I'm gathering is what we mm-hmm. were just talking about. And so then in each of those L1s, is that something where you would continue to operate with Sushi? on those platforms or do you work also with will you be working with other DEXs and swaps for providing liquidity
0: other DEXs as well yeah so like I said we want to go where the liquidity is the benefit to Sushi is Sushi provides a ton of rewards for notably their 2x pool so if we can put liquidity on top of a Sushi 2x pool Ando effectively in some ways auto compounds that pool for the user it doesn't really take on exposure to the rewards token so that's just a boosted yield for the user so if we see on chain XYZ, that there's a really popular DEX. I don't know, like Trader Joe is an example that sure. has a ton of liquidity mining rewards. It makes sense to see if we can offer that for the users in time.
1: Yeah. That yeah, makes total sense. Cool. And th- these are
0: all, most everything is a uni vt fork. So the mechanics are pretty similar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's not too difficult for you guys to do the integration. Um, is there kind of anything else we should know about Ondo? Like uh, you said, you're looking for marketing people and always looking for engineers, Uh, that'll never end. Probably anything else we should know about the project, the team. I didn't even ask you about the founders and the team that, that, that are already there that kind of you joined. Yeah, sure.
0: So I guess the first part about the founder, his name's Nate Allman, a brilliant person actually worked at Goldman Sachs and their digital assets group and uh, left to start this after realizing that there were a lot of traditional finance products that just weren't yet available to DeFi. And I think with his connections and whatnot, it's just much easier for us to work with traditional finance institutions and help bridge them over to DeFi and get their capital into DeFi and crypto in general, which is, of course, something we want to do. As far as your first question about learning more about Ondo, getting involved. So I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. You can just, on Twitter, you can search Justin Bram. My telegram is Justin C. Bram. So if anyone has questions, feel free to reach out to me or any one of the admins in the Ondo Discord. They'll probably send you to me anyway. If you're looking for a role and you're a talented engineer, marketing, BD person, if you're interested and talented, definitely reach out. You can feel free to contact me directly. Um, just happy to talk to you. And if there's any way I can help, I would love to as well.
1: So that's, that's great about the job stuff. And I'll post your links in, uh, in the show notes. But in terms of, I want to step back on the TradFi. So one of the things I'm most interested in the coming year is, how much we start with DeFi protocols penetrating real life, right? Is there a world where Alchemix version two, because of composability starts seeing some applications in existing traditional lending situations, right? With real estate cars, whatever. Um, It sounds like for Ando, that's actually going to be one of your big biz dev uh, focuses. Is that something you guys are going to really be focusing on kind of in 2022? Or it's just kind of something that you're building to over time to, to try to start integrating and bringing in TreadFi folks. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. You mentioned two different things of like one, DeFi seeping out into the real world. Sure. Two, bringing in institutions and non crypto native people into DeFi. I think we're more of the latter bucket. I would love to see more of the first bucket. I don't think we've seen any good models there we've been like all excited about if compound you could put your house up as collateral and borrow against it on something like Compound. I think we've all like been excited about that, but I haven't seen much progress there yet. As far as the latter, as far as institutional capital that's traditionally not crypto-native, I think we're seeing more and more coming in, which is great, but makes things a bit more competitive for retail, of course. But yeah, it's going to be a big push for us in twenty twenty two. We haven't yet announced who the partner is, but we've partnered with a, a larger institution that can basically provide our one of our entities a bunch of ETH that we can then use for our liquidity as a service offering. Now, like part, people don't want to be paired with stablecoins. They want a more correlated asset. We have basically like a near unlimited supply of ETH that we can provide for different DAOs that need liquidity to pair with their tokens. So this is just one example. But yeah, it's going to be a big push for 2022.
1: That's awesome. Are you familiar with Eric Irvin? At uh, Onramp, I'll connect you guys up offline. They Onramp Invest is a as a platform that integrates with all kinds of institutional and financial advisors out in the real world, okay. and they provide a gateway to crypto for those folks. So something I think that's more conservative, like the the stable side of these tranches, might be very interesting to them. But yeah, I'll connect you up. Yeah,
0: that thinking, like a lot of crypto native investors are very risk on and they are more into these longer tail assets like the convex token, the curve token, the uni token, and happy to speculate on those. And then if you can pair those people up with institutions that want to mitigate risk whenever possible, I think there's something powerful there. So we're definitely looking into that.
1: Yeah, I think you guys would be a really good partner for them. So I'll connect you guys up afterwards. Thank you. So I ask everybody this question that comes on the show, who or what project in the space, have you been most inspired by, or do you think is really critical and important to future of where we're going? Is there a particular person or is there a particular project that you really feel is just critical to DeFi in the future or that you're just inspired by and admire? That's really interesting.
0: I can say uh, pretty much the reason why I got into the content creation space was a lot of it was listening to Anthony Sasanos Daily Guay podcast, which he puts out Monday through Friday. It's It has a massive ETH focus for better or worse. But I think if you listen to this podcast, you'll have, and it's every day, Monday through Friday, like I mentioned, about 30 minutes long. If you listen to that every day and dedicate the time to it, you'll have an understanding of essentially 100% of all of the important activities that happen in the Ethereum space. But that has an Ethereum focus for better or worse. So I think, yeah, it has been extremely helpful over the last year and keeping up to date on everything. So definitely really appreciate that. Yeah, he just grinds. Uh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does this full. I don't know how he puts out a 30 minute video every, podcast every morning. He has the benefit of being in Australia. So he, I think ah, when it's his day or evening, he can release a video and it's our morning. So it's at 8 a.m. Every day you wake and wake up to it. But, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. I'm doing an yeah. hour every day at lunch and it's exhausting. It's yeah, full on exhausting. So anyway, go yeah. ahead. So Emily Sassano, great guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely agree with that choice. And then as far as everything else, I think the one
0: cool thing about this space is we're not really, nothing is dependent on any one person anymore. The easiest answer is Vitalik, right? Like everyone, True. every time he puts out an article, everyone reads it and takes it as gospel and truth. and. It probably is. He's a brilliant person. But yeah, I think what's cool about the crypto space is there's so many different projects and variants of the same idea that we're not all depending on one person to fulfill that. There's no Elon Musk of crypto just yet, but we'll see. Yeah,
1: no, that's great. I think that was an awesome answer. I think, look, I think there's so many people like you and people like Anthony and others who are just cranking out good content to make sure people understand what's going on and what they should be doing. And I think that's awesome. Appreciate it. Anything else we should know? Is that good?
0: Yeah, my only closing message, I think, and I, people in this space always say fully diluted valuation is a meme, but it is really not. And I think (laughs) if there's a large discrepancy between circulating market cap and FDV, you should be cautious because it's even more concerning than if they were, the two were balanced out. You just, it just means you have a lot of insider sell pressure ahead. So definitely look at the FDV. Don't, it's not a meme.
1: I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. To thank you. Thanks for doing that. And thanks for uh, always creating content to help people. That's great.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Brad.